Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Hello, thank you again for joining us for this Celebration Church online worship experience. Wherever you're watching from, whether it's at home, in your living room, in your bedroom, or driving in your car, thank you again for joining us for worship. I only ask that if you're watching while driving in your car that you keep your eyes on the road and not on the online service. My name is Patrick Egan. I'm our church's multi-site pastor. It's an honor and privilege for me to fill in for Pastor Dennis, great man of God, a man who's been my pastor and spiritual father for close to 20 years. And so it's exciting to get to be with you online today. Now, today we're continuing our Real Christianity in Challenging Times sermon series. And what we've seen so far is that there are all these challenges we face in life and in our world, especially right now. The day we live in right now, we've gone from worldwide pandemic to to racial injustice and, and social unrest to tropical storms to Saharan dust clouds. And as we're into July... I think we can accept and recognize that July in Louisiana is its own major crisis. And so wherever you are, I hope you're staying cool. I hope you're staying hydrated. But really, the emphasis of this series is what challenges do to our faith. And the fact that really anyone can claim to be a Christian, anyone can call themselves a Christian, but these challenges, they test our faith, they reveal our faith for what it is, And we all want to demonstrate that we are real Christians who really love and follow the Lord. In this series, we've seen that real Christians stand up for their faith. Real Christians hold on to their joy when things get hard. Last week, we talked about real Christians get right with the Lord when they get out of alignment. And today, we're going to see that real Christians grow up. Now, there's a great pastor named John Ortberg, who's also an author. Many years ago, I read this book. Uh, called The Life You've Always Wanted. In this book, he tells the story of a man named Hank. He says this, Hank was a cranky guy. He didn't smile easily, and when he did, the smile often had a cruel edge to it, coming at someone else's expense. Hank had a knack for discovering islands of bad news in oceans of happiness. He could always find a cloud where others saw a silver lining. Yet, Hank was orthodox, what some might call fundamental. He believed the right things, attended church regularly. No doubt he faithfully read his Bible and financially supported the church. He probably prayed regularly and avoided certain sins, but here's what no one expected. No one really ever expected Hank to grow and become more like Jesus. Hank was stuck. Now, stuck is a bad place to be. Stuck is a place no one wants to be. You don't want to be stuck in your career. You don't want to be stuck in a bad relationship. And you definitely don't want to be stuck in your walk with the Lord. Yet many of us have found ourselves stuck in our faith. But one of the things we realize, and one of the things we're going to see from Scripture today, is real Christians find a way to grow up. And so today as we look at Scripture, we're going to look at the book of 1 John again. Today we'll be in chapter 2, reading verses 12 through 17. You can follow along with me. As I read in verse 12, John writes this, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature 
in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. There in that passage, I think you can see how John addresses the idea of growth. And elsewhere in the Bible, the Bible teaches that growth is essential to Christian spirituality. All Christians are supposed to be growing. This is consistent with what Peter said when he said, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Peter says you must grow, he's using the imperative. What Peter is saying is that growth is essential. It's a command from the Lord. You can't afford to not grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of what football coach Lou Holt said. I never was a big Notre Dame fan, but I'm a fan of this statement. He said, nothing on earth is standing still. It's either growing or it's dying, no matter if it's a tree or a human being. And I'll tell you, here in the last three or four months, I've had a lot of time to sit in my backyard, watch the plants grow, and observe that, yeah, you know, in the plant world, something is either growing flourishing, healthy, or it's dying. It's on its way out. There's no in-between. And we need to keep that in mind as Jesus uses this sort of agricultural metaphor to describe his relationship with us. Jesus said, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, in this Christian faith, we're either growing or we're dying. We're either connected to Jesus or we are suffering the results of being disconnected from Jesus. And we know that to be real Christians, Christians not just in name, but in who we are, in our character, and in our deeds, we've got to grow in our relationship with the Lord. So today, we want to ask this question. What does it take to grow up to become all that God has called us to be? And we're going to give you two main things today. The first main thing we're going to give you is to grow up in the Lord, we must climb to spiritual maturity. To grow up in the Lord, we must climb to spiritual maturity. You've got to recognize that God's plan, not just for some Christians, not just for most Christians, God's plan, his ideal, his goal for every Christian is to grow through stages in the Christian life until we reach maturity in our relationship with the Lord. And here in our passage of Scripture, John has laid out several stages of growth that we want to talk about. Let's talk about these stages we saw in our passage, number one, that some Christians are children in their walk with the Lord. They're children in their walk with the Lord. Think about children. Children are sweet. Children are innocent. I heard about a, a mother who was washing her, her daughter's hair, giving her a bath. As she was washing her hair, she remarked, wow, your hair is getting so long. I think you need a haircut. And her daughter said, well, then maybe you should stop watering it. That's cute, isn't it? Kids have a way of saying cute stuff, doing cute, innocent stuff. And really, spiritual children are the same. They're very cute. They're very innocent. In fact, sometimes it's exciting to be around someone who is brand new in their faith and discovering the great truths about God and a relationship with God for the very first time. Now, let me give you some things that all new Christians experience. The first thing they experience is forgiveness of their sins. 
And John hits that in our passage. Do you remember in verse 12 where John said, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus? That's a quintessential experience of the Christian life. In fact, there are a lot of people in the world who would identify themselves as Christians, but they might say that they'd never received forgiveness of their sins for the Lord. They might say they'd never asked forgiveness of their sins from the Lord. And what John is telling us is that real Christians experience forgiveness. That's part of our childhood stage in our spirituality. New Christians experience forgiveness. They also experience fellowship with the Lord. That's another critical experience that John describes in verse 14. He says, I've written to you children because you have known the Father. Uh, look at what John says. He says, you have known the Father. He doesn't say you have known about the Father. He doesn't say you have known lots of scriptures and verses and can quote them. And he doesn't even say you have done the right things. You have known the Father. I want you to think back to that story I shared earlier about Hank. The, the grumpy curmudgeon who knew all the right stuff, did all the right things, but no one expected him to grow. And it's a reminder that, you know, knowing things is valuable, having the right set of beliefs is valuable, but, but once, once you get to the point where all you have are the right beliefs and the right actions, but you don't have the knowledge of the Father inside you, you begin to look and act a, a lot like Hank. My wife says this about me a lot. She says, I always knew I married Mr. Wright. I just didn't know his first name was always. And in our faith, sometimes we get distracted with being right more than we are overcome and, and pursuing our relationship with the Lord. Let me tell you, being Mr. Always Right, it makes for a bad relationship with your spouse. It makes for a bad relationship with the Lord. Now, theology is important, what we believe is important, but not, nothing is more important than our relationship with the Lord than knowing the Lord. Let me give you several aspects of spiritual children. Spiritual children can be disruptive, dependent, divisive, disobedient, and deceivable. These are all weaknesses that we're prone to at the spiritual childhood stage. And as you think about those, those are pretty consistent with biological children, aren't they? And not just that, spiritual children have needs. They need food to eat, but that's Bible study. We need to be giving our spiritual children spiritual food and Bible study at their level. They need nurture and care. They need ministries to be involved in. They need mentoring by more mature Christians. And at Celebration Church, that's why we have life groups, because in a life group you can find all of those things. Listen, if you're at this stage, you're a spiritual child in the Lord, it may be that the best next step for you is to get plugged in to a life group. Now, some Christians are children in their walk with the Lord. Other, other, other Christians are parents in their walk with the Lord. They're parents in their walk with the Lord. You know, some would say it's not always clear who's a, who's a parent in their walk with the Lord, but sometimes the difference is a parent. <laughs> is that, I'm going to keep going. So one time there were two kids named Pam and Stanley, and uh, Pam and Stanley were talking to one another. Pam said, I'm really worried. My dad works 12-hour shifts each and every day to give me a nice home and good food. And, and uh, my, mom, my mom spends the whole day cleaning and cooking for us. And Stanley said, well, what's the problem? That sounds like a great deal to me. And Pam said, I'm worried they're going to try to escape. Are there any parents out there who've thought about escaping? I've thought about escaping. I remember when my first child was born, we spent four days in the hospital. We went home. After a couple days, I had to bring some paperwork up to the doctor's office. I dropped off the paperwork. I got back in the car, and the thought occurred to me, I have the car. 
I have the credit card. I don't have to go home. Where else could I go that isn't home with a restless child screaming all the time? I thought about escaping. And the thing is, you know, as a parent, sometimes we think about escaping. Being a spiritual parent doesn't mean that you have everything together. Being a spiritual parent, being mature is not the same as being perfect. We're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven and are with Jesus. And as a parent, I don't always feel mature, but maturity isn't the same thing as perfection. It's about being a spiritual parent. Let me break that down a little bit more. Let me give you some aspects of mature Christians. Number one, mature Christians know the Lord intimately. It's amazing to me that one of the descriptors of being a parent in the Lord is so similar to the descriptor of being a child in the Lord, this knowledge of the Father. Uh, John writes in verse 12 and verse 14, I have written to you who are mature because you know Christ, the one who is from the beginning. Here's the thing. You will never grow to maturity if you abandon your intimate knowledge of the Father. In fact, one of the things that carries us to maturity is that intimate knowledge of the Father. Again, it's less about what they know than who they know when we're talking about spiritual parents. Mature Christians also represent the Lord powerfully. Just like our biological parents, good parents are good role models for those around them. Growing up, I had a, I had a bunch of friends, me and, and my friends. Listen, all of our parents smoked cigarettes. All of our parents gave us the same talk, the do as I say, don't do as I do talk. All of us ended up smoking cigarettes. Why? Because it's what we demonstrate as parents that's more important than what we simply direct our children to do. Good biological parents are good role models for their children. Good spiritual parents are good role models for their spiritual children. Mature Christians also reproduce for the Lord frequently. You know, the thing in life is a person can't be classified as a parent until they've reproduced someone. And, and you know, you can do that through the natural means, but also through adoption, not looking to exclude anyone, but very often that's what spiritual parenthood is like as well. There's some people in life that you win them to faith in Christ, and there are other people in life that you grow them to maturity in Christ, but the work of spiritual parenthood is the same. It's a pouring in your life to reproduce for the Lord. Jesus said, my true disciples, real Christians, produce much fruit. Now, I've seen some Christians are children in their walk with the Lord. Some Christians are parents in their walk with the Lord. And a lot of Christians are teenagers in their walk with the Lord. Now, I need to apologize here. Because I know there are a lot of you watching this, listening to this, and you are your linear thinkers, and you'd rather talk about this in a linear growth fashion. Children, teenagers, parents, right? I, I understand that. Listen, I feel you, my wife is one of you, my boss is one of you, my middle child is one of you, I'm one of you. I would have preferred to see John lay this out in that linear fashion, but that's actually, it's not what John does. John talks about the children, John talks about the parents, those who are mature, and then he talks about the teenagers. And I'm pretty sure that John being led by the Holy Spirit didn't, didn't, get to the end of this and go, whoopsies, I'm pretty sure this wasn't a mistake. This was intentional. Why? Because he's bracketing his target. You, you're probably familiar with the story of Goldilocks, right? Goldilocks went to the bear's home, found some porridge, wanted to eat it. One porridge was too hot. 
The other porridge was too cold. The third porridge was just right. This is John's way of making his focus clear for us. I think what John is, is telling us is that the majority of his audience is in fact at the spiritual teenage stage. That the spiritual teenage stage is where a lot of the work and hardship of growth comes along. And if we're really honest, that's probably most of who we are. Most of who we are as a society, as a church, we're in this sort of spiritual teenage stage. The teenage stage is perhaps the most difficult stage, and it's where many Christians get stuck in their maturing. This is why this is so critical. Everyone wants to become a child of God and have their sins forgiven and know the Lord. And everyone kind of theoretically wants to be mature in their faith, but this is where things get real, this is where things get hard, and this is where we tend to get stuck. Paul had to deal with the entire Corinthian church being stuck here. Paul said, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. So let, me, let me relay this, this bit of experience and, and how I think we can relate to this. As a parent, it has been a common experience of mine to walk into a room and find a huge mess. It doesn't matter what the mess is. It could be food all over the place. It could be art stuff all over the place. It's literally been everything. So as a parent, I walk into a room, I find a huge mess, and I say, loud enough for all my kids to hear, who made this mess? And do you know what I hear in response? I hear a house full of, not me. How is that humanly and physically possible to have a mess before you that has somehow spontaneously created itself that nobody in the house claims to have caused. Well, that's just a common experience in dealing with children, but to me, it, it shows three different attitudes that are, that are common at three different stages of our life. Think about these three attitudes and how they fit the stages. The child's attitude is, it may be my fault, but it's your responsibility. And parents, if you think that's wrong, if you think that shouldn't be, remember when your children were very, very young and they created messes they were incapable of cleaning up. Listen, I'm talking about explosive diapers and the like. You don't want to let your child try to clean that up, him or herself. That's your job. It's their fault. It's your responsibility. And that's the childlike attitude. That, that really, really does color how, how they approach the Lord, too. They're coming to recognize that, that the sins in their life, the separation from the Lord, is, is their fault, but it's the Lord's responsibility to heal that and to fix that and to cleanse that. The, the parent's attitude is, this isn't my fault, but it is my responsibility. And so you clean that explosive diaper. You, you clean that glass that, that the child shattered in the kitchen. Why? Because you don't want him getting anywhere close to that glass where he or she may cut him or herself. And then the typical teenage attitude is, not my fault, not my responsibility, not my problem. Parents of teenagers, are you hearing me? Are you feeling me right now? But it's not just those who are biological teenagers. This is a very spiritual attitude we have. And i got to tell you, I don't know how active you are on social media. I guess you're being a little bit active right now and tuning in. When I scroll through my social media, the primary attitude I'm seeing these days is not my fault, not my responsibility, not my problem. This is why I think most of us are here. And this is where I think John thought most of his audience was as well. Now, 
one of the areas every Christian has to take responsibility in is our fight against the devil. And that's where John goes next. You see, teen Christians have to constantly struggle with the devil. And he said this in verse 13, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. This stage of our spiritual development is all about figuring out how to beat the devil out of the devil. It's all about figuring out how to be victorious in our spiritual lives. This is God's desire for everyone in this stage to win our battle with the evil one. In order to do that, we've got we've to do several things. Number one, we have to understand his attacks. The devil attempts to get us to cave into, number one, the trials of life. Listen, if you're feeling beat down with all that's happened in the last several months, if you're feeling worn out, exhausted, frustrated, emotionally numb, angry, depressed because of the pandemic, because of just the, uh, the systemic injustice we've identified and, and the social unrest that's followed or the feeling that we just go from crisis to crisis to crisis. That is the devil's plan for your life. He wants you mentally and emotionally beat up so that you will disengage with the Lord and pulling back where he can really do some damage in your life. He also wants to get us to cave to the temptations of life. You see, once he's got you disengaged from the Lord, once he's got you stuck and not growing, it becomes so much easier to dangle something illicit, something immoral in front of you, and to get you to bite. That's uh, how the devil attacks us. We've got to understand his attacks. We've also got to use our artillery. Just because you're under attack doesn't mean you have no shelter or defense. In fact, we have some offensive weapons I want to talk with you about. John identifies that as the word of God. And in 1 John 2, 14, he says, I have written to you who are young because you are strong with God's word living in your hearts and you have won your battle with Satan. You see, winning the battle with the devil requires learning God's word and living out God's word. It's all about applying God's word to your life. This is the tactic Jesus himself utilized when the devil confronted him and tempted him in the wilderness. So as we think about these stages that John laid out, where are you? What steps do you need to take to grow to be the true disciple and spiritual parent that the Lord has called you to be? Now, the first main thing is we've got to climb to spiritual maturity, and we've seen how John has laid that out for us. But the second big thing I want to give you today, to grow up in the Lord, we must conquer spiritual menaces. We've got to conquer spiritual menaces. You see, we don't just want to know what the progression ought to be. We want to live it out. We want to experience it, and we want, we want to engage in this battle with the devil and overcome. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll tell folks, Things like ministry would be great, except for all the people. And it's, 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 ministry is about people. It can't be great without the people. It's, it's like an accountant saying, wow, accounting would be great if it weren't for all the numbers. It's like the Dallas Cowboys saying football would be great if it weren't for all the losing. See what I did there? But the truth is, growing in faith would be great if it weren't for all the spiritual menaces. Wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could come to Jesus and the rest of your life would be a cakewalk? That would be fantastic, but that's not how it works. You see, we're up against these invisible enemies. The devil is, is one of them, but the world is another. Now, when I talk about the world, I'm not talking about the seven or eight billion people in the world. I'm talking about a system. You see, the world is the invisible spiritual system that is opposed to God in our world. It's a system created 
by the devil himself. The world system, it has its own ruler. That's the devil. It has its own followers as well. And when I say followers, I'm not talking about people who are are Satanists or devil worshipers, although they certainly fall in that category. But everyone who's following along with the world's way of doing things, with the world's way of finding pleasure and satisfaction, with the world's way of finding success, with the world's way of pursuing uh, success uh, and relationships and lives, you're not following the Lord. You're actually following the devil when you're following that system. Jesus said, the world would love you if you belong to it, but you don't. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. And as Christians... It's really hard to reject the world system. It's really hard to reject worldly ideas. It's really easy to fall in love with the idea of the world loving us. We've got to be willing to stand up and reject it. You know, the world has a great attraction for Christians, and it's something we all have to deal with and overcome at every stage of our spiritual growth. So let me give you two things for overcoming the world today. Overcoming the world requires, number one, rejecting the persuasions of the world. We've got to reject two things. Number one is the persuasions of the world. We have to reject the persuasions of the world. In verse 15 of our passage, John said this. He said, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father and you. Reminds me of a great Boudreaux and Thibodeau story. You know, one time Boudreaux was standing by the road with a sign saying, the end is near. And you've, you've probably been down in the quarter and seen some people holding signs that say something similar. He's, he's just next to the road holding up a sign that says, the end is near. And Thibodeau came up to see what he was doing. And, and right when he got to Boudreaux, somebody pulled up in their car next to Boudreaux, cussing and screaming about Boudreaux being a judgmental religious zealot and how he had no place trying to force his own spiritual opinions on others. Then he got in his car and drove down the road. Well, a couple minutes after he went out of view, Boudreaux and Thibodeau heard a big crash. Thibodeau told Boudreaux, maybe you should just make a sign that says, bridge out, turn around. <laughs> the end is near, bridge out, turn around. Hey, listen, this is John saying, bridge out, turn around, stop loving this world. You're headed for destruction. There's only pain and hardship that awaits you as you continue loving the world. He goes on to say in verse 16, for the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. He gives us three things that the world wants us to prioritize. Pleasure. Man, I wonder how much money you spend on pleasure. I wonder how much money I spend on pleasure. And I'm not just talking seedy, immoral pleasures. I'm talking about how much money are we giving to Netflix every year? How much money are we spending on Saints tickets every year? How much money are we spending on subscriptions and going out and eating food we didn't have to cook ourselves? Listen, it's really easy for pleasure to become an idol in our lives. And I'm not saying the Christian experience should be one without pleasure, but I am saying that we need to make sure pleasure never becomes a higher priority than the Lord in our lives. The world and the devil would love for you to make that switch. The world and the devil would love for you to make pleasure the number one priority of your life. It would also love for you to make possessions and power 
the number one priority of your life. Now, there's nothing wrong with possessions. And there's nothing wrong with having a position of influence. But when we set that above the Lord, it becomes a huge problem in our lives and for those around us. The third priority the world wants us to make is pride in our lives. Let me tell you, pride should never be a priority in our lives. Humility should be the priority of our lives. Pride is always a mistake in our lives. Now, it's interesting to me that the devil used these very persuasions, pleasure, possessions, and power, pride, to trip up Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and to tempt Jesus. And you look at that, the temptation is, think, is to think, well, well, that's dumb. How come the devil's not changing up his game after all these years? He's not changing up his game because it's worked. It didn't work with Jesus. It worked with Adam and Eve. It's worked with just about everyone since then. That's how the devil is going to come after you. And that's one of the ways we have to overcome the world. We've got to reject the persuasions of the world. We've also got to reject the plans of the world. We've got to reject the plans of the world. See, the world has a plan for your life. The devil has a plan for your life. Just like God has a plan for your life. And you need to be careful that anytime you go outside of God's plan for your life, you're not necessarily going to your own plan that you created from scratch. If you're going off of God's plan, you are necessarily going to the devil's plan. You are necessarily going to the world's plan. Let me, let me give you some things about the, the devil and the world's plan for your life. Both the world and the devil want us to become companions with the world companions. Now, this doesn't mean you have to cut yourself off completely from the world like Amish communities do and, and other communities do. And I think what you'll find in those communities is they may have gotten rid of their technology. They may have kept the world at an arm's distance, but yet somehow they still manage to sin against the Lord and each other. We don't need to completely cut ourselves off from the world. In fact, we need to develop friendships with people in the world. Why? Because they need Jesus. But we need to not cozy up to the ways of the world, the practices of the world, the priorities of the world. The world and the devil want us to become not just companions, but corrupted by the world. Corrupted by the world. Understand, corruption always starts with compromise. Don't compromise your standards to get a job. Don't compromise your spiritual standards for a relationship. Don't compromise your spiritual or moral or ethical standards for anything else, or before long you'll be full-on corrupt. Both the world and the devil want us to become corrupt. They also want us to become conformed to the world. Conformed to the world. Let, let me tell you, Christians throughout their history have been notoriously weird. And when I say weird, what I mean is misunderstood by the culture around them. You can go all the way back to the first century. The first century world regarded Christians as cannibals. Why? Because they partook of this special meal uh, where they, they, they took the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, we recognize that that is a, a meal of remembrance and symbolism and realigning ourselves with the Lord, but the, the, the world heard this and thought Christians were cannibals. And, and you know, they were regarded as treasonous because they wouldn't worship Caesar. They would worship a God who wasn't Caesar. And even today, as Christians, many of our beliefs and practices are misunderstood by the world, maybe even ridiculed, but we should always look discernibly different from the world. Different in our attitudes, different in our holiness and purity, different in our convictions, different in our value for all people. We need to look different from the world. We cannot be conformed to the world. Both the world and the devil want us to become condemned 
with the world. I, I, I listened to this historical podcast. And I was listening to an episode about World War II, uh, and it's, it's called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. It's, it's a fun podcast. But he's talking about World War II and, and how, how, how challenging the Japanese soldiers were for the American GIs. They had never seen anything like the Japanese soldier because the Japanese soldier, when he was defeated, he would not surrender. And at times he would feign surrender in an attempt to draw American soldiers in and ambush them. You see, the ethos of the Japanese soldier was, if you're going to go down, take as many enemy with you as possible. And that's the same ethos that the devil and the world have. They understand that they have been defeated by Christ's triumph on the cross. They understand that their day of judgment before the Lord is coming. They understand that they can't change that, but they want to bring down as many Christians as possible. Because that's their ethos. Listen. We have to resist the influence of the world and the devil because we don't want to stand condemned with the world. John said in verses 16 and 17, These are not from the Father. They are from this evil world. And this world is fading away along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. So today we've seen that to overcome the world, we have to grow in the Lord. And the key to growing in the Lord is deepening our love for the Lord. Verse 15, we read earlier, stop. John said, stop loving this world. And our emphasis was really on the stop. But let's continue. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. Looks to me like what John's saying there is if you have the love of the Father in you and you're deepening in your love for the Father, well, then you're less exposed to the temptations, the snares of what the world has to offer us. It's consistent with what Jesus said. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. So let me ask you, who or what is keeping you from loving the Lord more than anyone or anything else and keeping you from growing to spiritual maturity? Today, as we've talked about how we need, to, we, need to, we, need to, we need to grow. We need to grow through these stages. We need to grow to maturity. And we talked about how we need to overcome these spiritual menaces. I want to encourage you. One thing real Christians do in challenging times is we keep growing with the Lord. We keep chasing Him. We keep pursuing Him. And no matter how hard things may get, listen, you may be in a season where you're just emotionally worn out. You, you've, you've gone through the anxiety of the pandemic. You've gone through the anger and the frustration of the, the social unrest. You've gone through the anxiety of, of tropical storms. And who knows when Godzilla is going to come out of the Gulf of Mexico, right? You may be emotionally worn out. But don't step away from the Lord. And don't stop growing in the Lord. I want to go back to those attitudes we talked about. We talked about the fact that you know, spiritual parents, they look at the world, they look at a problem, and they say, it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility. Listen, maybe you're listening and you're a spiritual parent. I want to I wanna challenge you to look at the world around you. What things in the world may not be your fault, but they could be your responsibility? Maybe putting your arm around a spiritual teenager or a spiritual child and bringing them 
to a place of maturity. If you're listening to this and maybe you're at that spiritual child stage and, and you're just learning that there are some things in your life that are your fault, but they're not your responsibility. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, and there's nothing we can do to, to make ourselves clean. We can't wash that sin out of our lives. The only thing that can cleanse us is the blood of Jesus over our lives applied when we ask Him for forgiveness and surrender our lives to Him. And so your challenge, your job is to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and is to grow in the understanding of your forgiveness. And maybe there are a lot of people listening. You're at that spiritual teenage stage for too long. You've looked at the problems of life, the problem of the world around you and said, not my fault, not my responsibility, not my problem. Listen, that attitude, it's not from the Lord. That attitude is from the devil. And we've got to overcome the devil in our fight with him. Now in a moment, I, I want to pray for you. But before I do that, I want to give you some great resources for how you can take the next step in growing as a real Christian. Here at our Metairie New Orleans campus, we have an experience that is designed to help you grow no matter what stage you're at. It's called First Steps and it's kicking off this Wednesday, July the 8th. It's happening in person and online. And you can sign up for that by going to our online communication card our connecting um, website called webcc.info. In fact, if you know that's for you, you don't even have to stick around. Just, just go ahead, go to webcc.info, sign up for that experience because whatever stage you're at, we never stop growing. We want to help you connect. But also our church has other resources for, for deep and study. We have a resource called Right Now Media where uh, we can get you signed up and, and access to many Bible studies like how to read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we've got spiritual growth conversations on there between Pastor Dennis and Pastor Manley Miller. Uh, to do that, all you need to do is text right now, sell to 41411, and we can get you connected to that. And then finally, we've got spiritual growth resources in our Faith Foundations Discipleship course, which teaches us all about overcoming the flesh, overcoming the devil, and overcoming the world. Listen, you're only going to be able to get the most out of those resources if you have the spiritual legs, power, and commitment to get through it. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for you. Wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, you might be at a coffee shop. Listen. Tons of weird people in the coffee shop. No one's going to think you're weird if you just bow your head and close your eyes in an attitude of prayer. You might be driving. Do not close your eyes. Just keep them open in an attitude of prayer. You might be on your couch. You might be with other people, but in an attitude of prayer. Let's go to the Lord today. Heavenly Father, we recognize that wherever we're at in our faith, we have a long, long way to go to look like Jesus. And we've got some hard battles ahead of us got some tough work to do when it comes to overcoming the persuasions of the world. We've got some tough work to do when it comes to overcoming and rejecting the plans of the world. And Lord, as, as we ask your spirit to search our hearts, it becomes more and more clear that those plans, those persuasions, they have a little bit of an emotional foothold in our hearts. Lord, today we just reject those in the name of Jesus. And we declare that we belong to you whatever stage we're at. We might be spiritual children. We might be spiritual parents. We might be spiritual teenagers. But in each and every case, we, we decide that we value knowing you, following you, and obeying you 
more than anything the devil can throw at us, more than anything the world can offer to us. And so we dedicate ourselves to you. Now, there may be some listening to this, and you're not even at that spiritual child stage. There's never been a moment in your life where you surrendered your life to Jesus. But today I'd like to offer you that moment, that opportunity to become a child of God, to experience the forgiveness of your sins, and to begin to know the Heavenly Father. If you'd like to do that, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it silently. You can pray it out loud. You can look odd in the middle of a coffee shop if you want to. Just pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I've made mistakes and that I need your forgiveness. And so I ask you to forgive me. I believe you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So today I ask you to come into my life. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me from my sins. Create me anew. Fill me with your presence and power. Today I commit myself to living for you. I pray you'll fill me with your presence and power and provide a home for me in heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us, I'd love it if you would go to webcc.info and let us know. Because this is the first step in your relationship with the Lord, but there are many steps to come. It's a long and winding adventure, and we want to help you take those next steps. Thank you again for joining us for our online worship service. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.